Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, it is good to be back with you. Uh, We are plugging along in the Gospel of John, and we are coming to a point where halfway through this Gospel, uh, John makes a transition from... uh, basically popping in and out of Jesus's ministry over a long period of time to now in chapter 12, where we're going to be uh, embarking today is down this road, the rest of this gospel down the final week before Jesus's death and resurrection. So we're getting a little bit of a magnified view of the week prior to his death on the cross. And But before we go there, uh, we missed a few things last week. Uh, I missed a short portion of scripture that really helps us sort of frame where we're at right now as we start John, John chapter 12. So right after we see Caiaphas make this statement, who is a Sadducee, meeting with the Pharisees, these two groups of people that did not get along, Um, basically plotting to kill Jesus for the sake of the nation. And Caiaphas makes this statement, not of his own volition, but prophetically, that one man should die for the sake of the nation. And it goes on to say that he said this, um, that not just one man would um, die for the sake of the nation, but for the whole world. And it was prophetic of what Jesus was about to do on the cross, Um, that he was going up on the cross to save not just the nation of Israel, but the whole world. And John hones in on this and points this out. After that, it says, because of this plot to kill Jesus, because it was public knowledge after that point, that, that because of this raising Lazarus from the dead, that's a big deal. People would hear about it. They then made their plot to kill Jesus public as well. And said, if anybody knows anything about this Jesus guy, let us know, because this cannot go on any further. So they left, Jesus and the disciples left, and then it was time for Passover. Um, and just like the other feasts that we've talked about, like the Feast of Booths, Jews would come from who knows where uh, back to uh, Israel, back to Jerusalem, to partake in these feasts and these traditions um, and the Passover. The Passover was very, very important um, because it signifies, you know, when, when God led Israel out of Egypt and they, they put the blood of the spotless lamb above their door, doorposts so the angel of death would pass over them and they would live, right? So there was a substitution in, with that lamb instead of their life, that, that this lamb's life had been taken instead. Yes, that is pointing to the cross and what Jesus is about to do and be and who he is for the people of Israel. So very important that, that the, we understand that we are leading up to the cross, that it is uh, Passover time, um, and that all leads up to and is a part of the great rescue plan of God. Now, there was some muttering among the people that, of course, Jesus was, he just rose Lazarus from the dead um, and 
tucked himself away because of this plot. Like he's the most famous person in Israel at the, at this point. Um, you can't really hide it when you raise somebody from the dead. Right. And again, all part of the plan leading up to the cross. So basically people were saying, okay, it's Passover time. We're all gathering as Jews. Is Jesus going to show up or not? Where is he? Like, when is he going to poke out? Like, just like any celebrity, like, if you see a celebrity on the street, you sort of freak out, right? So everyone was like, or if you hear that, you know, Kanye is in your town, like, of course, you're going to, if you see on Instagram, oh, Kanye, or Twitter, or whatever, like, Kanye is down at the Sonic, you know, you want to know about that. You're going to run down and grab yourself a slushie or whatever. But, like, you want to see Kanye. Um, But this was a man who so much greater than any celebrity we can <laughs> we can imagine, right? This is the son of God, the one who rose Lazarus from the grave and was about to raise all of all of humanity from the grave through his blood, his death, his resurrection that we would all come to life in him. And there was a public plot to kill him. Like there was so much drama right now in this time. And so I'm trying to paint this picture for you because it has everything to do with here in chapter 12. We see six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom he raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, let's stop there. So Jesus um, is at this house at dinner. Uh, and we see it's in Matthew 24, 26, uh, Matthew 26, and Mark 14, where we see the other accounts of this meal and, and this act of worship that Mary um, participates in and is really compelled to. And with all this drama going on, these are Jesus's friends. And... In the other gospel accounts, we, we know that he's in the house of a guy by the name of Simon, Simon the leper, um, not to be confused with another house where there was um, another act of worship from another person. This was, so before he was in the house of a Pharisee, also named Simon, but in Galilee, and a prostitute washed his feet. Um, and so completely different time. This is Mary in the house of Simon the leper with Martha, Lazarus, disciples, um, Mary, all present. So they were at this dinner party. And the wild thing about Simon the leper is no one would come near this guy if he had leprosy. I don't know how many of you have walked uh, close to or known that somebody was a leper and like walked right up to him and touched their skin. Yeah. None of you, because nobody wants a flesh-eating disease. The sad part of the time was leprosy was, was pretty common, and they would take anyone with any sort of 
skin thing that had a question mark that they didn't understand. Thank you for modern medicine that we understand this stuff now. They would throw them outside of the city gates with all the rest of the lepers. So what would happen is they would get leprosy anyway. Really, really sad. Really awful. Um, so no one walks towards somebody with a flesh-eating disease. Not to mention, you know, religiously it made you unclean and that kind of a thing. But no one would be caught dead in that house unless this leper was healed, right? And how were lepers healed back in this time? There was no way except for this guy who's sitting at the table. His name is Jesus, and he was healing people of this flesh-eating disease, right? So what we can assume, um, and I'm just saying we are making this assumption, that because there are people in Simon's house with Simon um, at a dinner party, this man was healed from leprosy. The only way to be healed from leprosy is the touch of Jesus. So we know that Lazarus was at the table who was risen from his grave. We know that it's Simon's house, and we know that Jesus is there. So imagine having dinner with what the New Testament calls the vessel of all creation, right? who calls himself the Son of God, the Son of Man, out of the Trinity of God. God, the Father, wills it all. The Son carries it out. And the Holy Spirit, the delight between the two. You've got a person of the Trinity sitting at the dinner table with you. You've got a man who has risen from the grave, and you have a man who is healed of leprosy. There would probably be questions asked from everybody else and everyone just hanging on these guys' words, right? Amazing. I come from a foodie family, so the dinner table is kind of sacred anyway. But to sit with these three guys and enjoy a meal um, and recline with them and just, man, the dinner table at this time, because you see it from the posture, the reclining, it was a time of rest. The day was done. Dinner at the end of the day was a time to rest and enjoy one another's company. What a meal. If that doesn't set the stage for you enough. Like, what a wild place to be, right? And then we see Martha is serving, which we've seen Martha previously in the Gospels, that this is what she did, right? Um, You you know, you could bring in the Enneagram and call her a two or whatever. Um, I don't know where everybody's at with the Enneagram. People seem to have like some really strong opinions against it, which is you know, I, I respect that, but kind of kind of interesting. It is a way for us to understand ourselves. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing. So Martha was serving. We see that this is sort of her tendency. This is who she was. This is what she did. She was serving the meal. So she was in one way serving Jesus. She was meeting the need of bringing food to all these people. This is what we can see as a way that God created Martha to serve. We all have certain tendencies and certain ways of doing things that have been like our, our history, like the way we grew up, where we came from, how we were influenced. Like it all culminates to who we are, right? 
And God crafts all those things. We see in Psalms 139 that he has written out our days before they even come to pass. So, so we see that Martha has been crafted as this servant. And you see this beautiful act of service here. And Martha gets a bad rap, but we've, we talked about this in chapter 11, where she gives this great statement of faith. Like, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the Lord. And I, he, she is trusting in the power that he can do, like the power that comes from him, the love that comes from him before he raises her brother from the dead. Martha, her heart was in the right place, and she was acting out of a compulsion to serve. Um, that was just who she was. We see Lazarus sitting there, reclining at the table with Jesus. And then we see Mary, who, as we've seen previously in the Gospels, she would sit at Jesus' feet. And the, the amazing thing about Mary is she is just compelled by the moment. You know, even, even when she was serving and Martha called her out for serving uh, earlier on in the gospel, or in the, in the Gospels, she is just swept up in the moment, right? Um, I see her as, for those of you who have gone through Dave Ramsey, um, he says that every, in every like marriage, there's the free spirit and the nerd. And the hardest part of budget meetings is getting the free spirit to sit down at a budget meeting. Um, and I imagine Martha is sort of like a free spirit. Like she is so in the moment and go with the flow. And whenever Jesus is around, you see her just completely captivated. But we've already set the scene here that we see here in, in, in this story that Lazarus, who has been raised from the dead, and Simon, who was previously a leper, is sitting there with Jesus, the Son of God. And there was some kind of insight we see from Jesus's response um, to Judas's response, which we'll get to, um, but in Mark 14, it says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before hand for burial. So this alludes to the fact that Martha or Mary had some sort of insight into what was happening. And from what we've seen of Mary as she's sitting at Jesus' feet, so much so, like clinging to his every word, so much so that Martha is getting frustrated um, where we've seen them before um, interacting with Jesus. So much so that Martha's getting frustrated that Mary is clinging to his every word and she's actually listening because she knows what's about to happen. She has some insight into what, what is coming in this next week. And Jesus says, she is preparing me for that. That this whole act of worship is in preparation for what would happen. M Mary takes 
this ointment that we see is made of pure nard, which has been brought in from far eastern countries. Like it comes, nard comes from far away. And Judas, in in verse 4, says, or verse 5, says, this ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii. So a denarii was, was like a day's wage. And so 300 denarii was like a year's wage. So this stuff is very expensive. I heard one pastor say uh, it was, we're talking about roughly like $40,000. And I know the cost of living fluctuates like the yearly income in different places. And some people make less than that. And some people make more than that, right? But we're roughly talking about like $40,000 worth of ointment, $40,000 worth of perfume. This was expensive. This was costly. And this brings us back to like 2 Samuel 24, where, where we, we see David make a statement about, I cannot offer anything of worship as worship to the Lord if it has costed me nothing. So she's taking something of great value to her, something that costs a lot of money, $40,000 to us, 300 denarii to them, and she's breaking it open and she's wiping it on Jesus's feet with her hair. Her hair was her glory. You never let down your hair as a, as a Jewish woman in public. You would let down your hair for your husband and that is it. Or in private right? When you're by yourself. She is compelled by this man who rose her brother from the grave, who is about to do this great act. He's about to die for the whole world. And she has some kind of insight into that because she listened to him along the way. And she is preparing him. We see Martha is compelled to work. She's compelled by the person of Jesus to work. We see Mary, who, because of the person of Jesus, is compelled to worship. At great cost to her, filling the house with this fragrance. Like, what an amazing like, scene. We see Martha working to worship Jesus. We see Mary worshiping Jesus with this act, not singing or dancing, but worshiping as a true worshiper of Jesus. He goes on in Mark 14 to say, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That she will leave a legacy of worship. And we go on to see that there were large crowds when they found out about this dinner party that were pressing in in verse 9. We're going to cover more of this next week, but in verse 9, there was a large crowd pressing in to see Lazarus, this man who's sitting there as a witness to what Jesus can do. So we see two women compelled by the person of Jesus. 
with work and worship. And then we see a man reclined with him as a witness to who Jesus is, all pointing to him, all pointing to the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, what he was about to do. This is a family that has been changed and transformed by who Jesus is and the work that he does. My question for you today is, are you compelled by the person of Jesus? Day by day, are you compelled by the person of Jesus? What you do, the way you interact with people, the way you make decisions in your life, are you compelled by the person and the work of Jesus? And it could look different. Just like this family, one was compelled to work. One was compelled to, to worship. And one was, was compelled to just be a witness, to put his story out there, to be available, to be a witness. The crazy thing about Lazarus is we never see any words from him recorded, but just his mere being is a witness to the work and the person of Jesus. It's amazing. And that just shows us that there are different seasons and different times of our lives when we will be called to a different ministry. But we are all called to Jesus. And when we see Jesus, when we see who he is, when we see his work, when, when we look in the scriptures, when we sit down in silence and solitude with him and we hear his voice and we are guided and compelled by his word in the way, the truth, and the life by Jesus, we are compelled to some action. We are compelled to work, to worship, to just be a witness to who he is. My prayer for you over the weekend is that you would be compelled and that you would really ask that question, is my life compelled and propelled by who Jesus is? And who am I right now? Maybe right now, and this, this could change, right? Um, am, am I a worker? Am I compelled by Jesus to work as a servant? Am I compelled by Jesus to just worship? Or am I compelled and propelled to be a witness, to share the good news? And I would say we are all compelled and propelled to be all of these at varying levels. We are called to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we we are compelled to worship him in one way, shape, or form. And as we love God, we are compelled to love people as well, which is a work in, work in an act of service to others. So let's think about that this weekend. Are we compelled by the person and the work of Jesus in our lives? And how is that manifesting? How is that coming to life in our life? Would you ask yourself that question this weekend? And Man, if you're really struggling with this, spend some time with the Lord and in his word, as I hope you are daily, um, just working this stuff out with him. We want to live a life compelled by him and his love. And when we do that, we are his church. We are his children. And we are his heralds of the good news of Jesus. I love you guys. Um, Have a great weekend, and we will talk again next week.